Well, good morning. My name is Alex, and I am the lead pastor here at Courtright, and I want to add my word of welcome to what Allison said at the beginning of the service. Uh, whether you're here in the room with us or online, we trust that you will feel at home as we worship together, and if you're here for the first time, we want to welcome you especially. So over the past two weeks, we've heard Jesus say some pretty remarkable things. First, he said, I am the bread of life. And then last Sunday, we heard him say, I am the light of the world. And Allison also pointed us last Sunday to the end of John chapter 8, where he uses God's very name, I am, to describe himself. And at that point, the crowd turns on him and some of them picked up stones to kill him with, but Jesus slipped away. Next, he goes on to heal a blind man. You can read about that in John chapter 9. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, get really upset about that because he's not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. Above all, we see people coming into focus, leaving. They're all asking, who is this guy? Who is Jesus? And what is going on? Because clearly something significant is happening. Well, I hope we're starting to get the picture. We've heard Jesus described as food and as light. And so we've seen that he meets basic needs. Both of those things are essential to life. We need to eat and the world needs light for things to grow and for us to function as human beings. Jesus says that he will meet us in that place of kind of surface and yet essential need, but that he will go much farther and much deeper, that he will satisfy our deepest hunger and our deepest longing. He's going to shine his light of truth and grace into the darkness of our troubled lives. So the hunger at its deepest level and the need to come out of the darkness into the light is part of his invitation to us. But now he's going to switch gears. He's going to take us in a more personal direction. In John 10, he says, I am the gate, and if you enter through me, you will be saved. And he also says, I am the good shepherd, and those who follow me are my flock, my sheep. And he draws this contrast between his own leadership and the influence of other leaders who he calls thieves and robbers. It's a warning, but even more, it's an invitation to us. Jesus is inviting us to get closer to him and into a togetherness around him, with him at the center. So let's pray before we open up our Bibles to John chapter 10. Dear God, we are distracted people. There's no doubt of that. We have so many choices. There are so many voices we could listen to. Help us this morning to choose the one thing that cannot be taken away from us. Holy Spirit, open our ears so that we can hear your voice today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to read from John chapter 10, verses 1 to 22. And that's from the New Living Translation that we'll be reading from this morning. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. 
Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too. They are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some said, he's demon-possessed and out of his mind. Why listen to a man like that? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? It was now winter. And Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's still music to my ears hearing all of you say that in here. So we've been reminiscing, I guess you might call it, back to a year ago when the pandemic started. And I remember at the outset, I heard a story about a town in Wales. It was maybe two or three weeks into our lockdown here in Ontario, and I came across a certain picture online. You may have seen it yourself. There was a flock of goats that had wandered into Landudno, and they were eating the flowers from people's gardens, which in the UK, I think, is a capital offense, probably. It was a cute story, and it made the news because those of us who live in cities never see this. We never see goats or sheep wandering around. And there's a whole side story to the pandemic about the environmental benefit of it. 
Some of us who grew up in the church, though, are more familiar with imagery of sheep through the Bible stories that Jesus tells. And these next images, some of you may have seen hanging on the walls of Sunday schools over the years. Now, not only do these pictures make Jesus look like a handsome white guy, which he was not, but this may also leave us with the impression that Jesus enjoyed cuddling with soft things, that he spent his spare time with teddy bears and baby rabbits. Now, I'm a city boy, but my ancestors come from the highlands, and I can tell you that shepherds are not soft. I'm a McLeod of the clan McLeod, and we know sheep. <laughs> when I was 13 years old, I spent a summer living with my cousins in a village, a tiny village, called Habast on the island of Lewis in the far northwest of Scotland. They're called the Outer Hebrides. Now, Lewis is a wild and beautiful place with the most amazing beaches you've ever seen in your life and no one to enjoy them because you wouldn't want to if you were in your right mind. It's cold and miserable and crazy windy all the time, even in July and August. On Lewis, there are almost no trees, but there are tons and tons of sheep. My uncle Ian was a shepherd, and from him I learned how to care for sheep. I learned how to help him shear sheep, among other things. As you can imagine from this next picture, you have to be pretty strong to be able to hold down a sheep and to shear it, which is partly for its own good. And I learned that sheep are most interested in filling their bellies. They tend to wander off and get lost also. They're fearful, they panic easily. They're also really insecure. They can't defend themselves and they need pretty much constant guidance. Scattered might be the best word to describe sheep, especially sheep without a shepherd. Maybe that does a decent job of describing human beings as well. So you see, when Jesus calls us sheep, it's an honest recognition of our challenges. It's not really a compliment. Palestine, in the time of Jesus, was full of sheep. It was a pastoral society. We get uh, the word pastor from the Latin word for sheep. It was not an agricultural society. There weren't farms everywhere around when Jesus lived. You would have seen sheep and goats everywhere in the countryside. And so this illustration that Jesus provides with its sheep and shepherd would have made a lot of sense to the people who were listening. And there are lots of references in the whole Bible to sheep. Doreen Beer read some lines from the best-known one, Psalm 23, as part of our call to worship. God is described as a shepherd, and so are kings. The right relationship between a king and his people was to be like a good shepherd watching over a flock. King David, for one, got started as a shepherd boy, but the idea, the general idea of shepherd kings points to responsible stewardship. 
It's a contrast to the ideas that we have today and that were also prevalent back then of powerful people, whether Jewish religious leaders who were trying to sneak into the sheep pen or secular Gentile rulers who would lord it over their people. In verse 22, at the very end of what we read, there was a short verse that, that I'm not sure if you picked up on. We read that this was all happening at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. Now, the festival of dedication was when the Jewish people remembered a dark episode in their history, 200 years before Jesus lived, when a Syrian emperor had defeated them and tried to eradicate their religion, tried to impose Greek views on them. He even set up an altar to the god Zeus in the temple in Jerusalem, and some of the high priests joined him. They betrayed the true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And after five years of that, a man by the name of Judas Maccabus and his brothers led a successful revolt, and the temple was restored, and the worship of Yahweh was reestablished. During the Feast of Dedication to today, to the way our Jewish friends and neighbors celebrate Hanukkah, Ezekiel 34 is always read, and I'm going to read you an excerpt from it because you need it to understand what Jesus is saying in John 10. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. I will shepherd the flock with justice. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God declares the Sovereign Lord. So during this feast, the Feast of Dedication, Jews remembered the victory of the Maccabeans, the betrayal of their own high priests, and they recall joyfully the promise of God in Ezekiel 34 to come and to be the Good Shepherd. So as we see what Jesus is saying, how it fits into that, we realize that Jesus is actually making a shocking and completely audacious claim, one that, one that would have offended people who were listening. He's saying that he himself was and is the good shepherd of Ezekiel 34, who the Jewish people had been reading about and read about every year at Hanukkah, the one who comes to feed the flock, to seek the lost, to gather the scattered, to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal the sick. And he's saying that the promise you are celebrating in this feast is fulfilled right here, right now with me and now and forever. But Jesus actually starts John 10 with words that may surprise us given all that good news. He starts with walls and he starts with gates. He starts with a kind of exclusion that will lead to the greatest inclusion. The first verse in John 10 warns against sneaking over a wall. In verse 7, Jesus goes on to say, I am the gate. 
And as he does that, he was challenging a religious system that could be, be manipulated and that made obedience to the Jewish law the only way to salvation, that said, you have to earn your place with God through your own effort. It's up to you. Jesus says no to that. He says, the only way that you can get home to God is through me, through a person, not through a system, not through a formula, not by ticking certain boxes, pleasing certain people. But hang on a second. Isn't Jesus mixing metaphors here? We know he's the good shepherd. That's what this passage is most famous for. How can he be the gate also? Well, in ancient Israel, the shepherds that roamed the countryside with their sheep would use rocks to build an enclosure where their sheep would spend the night, often on a hilltop. And they would lead the sheep into that safe place, into that enclosure, and Shepherds would then lie down across the opening. There had to be an opening for the sheep to get in and out. And the shepherd would sleep there to keep the sheep from wandering off, to keep the sheep in, in the safe place, and to keep enemies out. So Jesus was saying he really was the gate in that sense. He's saying beyond that, deeper than that, he's saying he is the only way to salvation. There's one door. And this you might think of as the good news of the narrow way. In our culture, if there's any God talk at all, you're usually going to hear that there are many paths to God. But Jesus says the opposite. And it's not a smart way to begin, right? We've seen that again and again. Jesus needs help in the PR department He's not going about this in a way that's going to attract followers. Jesus says there's one true door and one good shepherd, and that he is the unique source of our salvation. During this pandemic, I've often referred to the French mathematician and philosopher Blaise Pascal because he is so good at cutting to the chase of our predicament now in this time of challenge, but also generally in our human condition. I don't know if Pascal ever calls us sheep, but he's constantly pointing out how scattered we are, how we try to distract ourselves from the abyss, he calls it, towards which we are rushing. And during this pandemic, we have had fewer distractions than ever before. Pascal once wrote that all of humanity's problems arise from our inability to sit quietly in a room alone. Have you tried that recently? A year ago, it seemed like we might have an opportunity to sit quietly like we'd never had before as the goats wandered through Guelph, right? But I think, as it's turned out, many of us have been as busy as we were, perhaps busier. Others of us have not. And so there's been this wide range of different experiences over the last year. But the question is still a good one for all of us. Have we, are we able to sit quietly? 
The Clash have a song off their great album, London Calling, about being lost like a sheep. The chorus goes like this. I'm all lost in the supermarket. I can no longer shop happily. I came in here for that special offer, a guaranteed personality. While Amazon has raked in the profits over the last 12 months, we have not found what we're looking for online. Jesus says, you cannot buy it. You won't find it there. He says, I am the gate, the one way that leads to life, abundant and satisfying life. Will you try me? Could you trust me? Now, if you're considering that or if you're considering seeking a renewal of that in your life, you may want to know what he offers. And he tells us here, as he calls himself the Good Shepherd, it's at least two things. That's what we've got time for. It's homecoming and it's relationship. When Jesus first calls himself the Good Shepherd in verse 11, he's inviting us into a place of complete safety and security. It's a homecoming like nothing else. In ancient Israel, there were detailed rules about how a hired hand, when a shepherd was a hired hand, how the hired hand needed to conduct himself. So if one wolf attacked the flock, you were required by law to stay and defend your sheep. But if two wolves came at you, then you're free to run, run like crazy, Make for the hills. And so, because sheep were such a common part of life, people would have known that, and they would have had stories of people abandoning their sheep. But Jesus says here that he will never leave us. He will never leave his sheep. And so he's, he's really inviting us to find the source of our identity in him to come to see that we are at home with him. We sang that he, earlier that he is the shepherd of our souls, right? So he's suggesting that the deepest possible sense of who we are could reside with him, that we could sit quietly in that room and be at peace knowing that, in fact, that we have to know that to be able to sit quietly at peace. And if we let the Holy Spirit renew our minds to that understanding of who we truly are, we will find that we will never be afraid because nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Nothing can remove us from his care. But notice that he does not say that we are going to have a trouble-free life. This abundant life, this satisfying life, contains wolves. It contains threats. The assumption here is that there will be wolves, whether they come from within us or from outside in all the forms of adversity we face. But the promise is that they will not overcome us, that they cannot take us away from him. Not even the greatest wolf of all, death itself, can stand in the way of our final homecoming when Jesus 
is our shepherd, and as we look to him and trust him, he never loses a single sheep, not even in the valley of the shadow of death. And that's how Psalm 23 ends, if you know that psalm, the one that Doreen started reading at the beginning of our service. We start off, the Lord is my shepherd. There are green pastures, still waters. He restores our souls. And then we go down. We go down into the darkness, into a valley of deep darkness. But we come up in verse 6. We come up out of that valley into the house of the Lord, full of goodness and mercy, where it says we will dwell forever. And that's a promise that we can take home with us. But this good shepherd, what Jesus offers us isn't only about homecoming. The good shepherd knows us all along the way, too. In Scotland, my uncle Ian would drive his flock of sheep using a sheepdog. The dog's name was Flash, and just an incredible sight to see Flash darting left and right and guiding these sheep. But, but shepherds in the Middle East do it differently. Still today, this is how they do it. They don't drive the sheep. They lead them. The sheep know the shepherd's voice, and they follow him. It's personal. It's not forced. It's a relationship of trust. In verse 14, Jesus says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. And in the Hebrew language, Knowing is so much more than just recognition. To know another person means to experience them, to share yourself with them. It's this, it's this picture full of intimacy and a closeness that is comfortable and easy. And later, Jesus compares the relationship he wants to have with us to what he himself has with his father. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father, he says. And there is no closer or more satisfying relationship in all the universe than the one that God the Father and God the Son enjoy, that has existed through all eternity, that in a way we are the product of that perfect love between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, does that sound far-fetched to you that you could experience that? Well, here's a practical way you might consider to come to know the voice of the Good Shepherd. Maybe you've been finding that you're having a hard time hearing that voice, that what you hear more are voices of accusation or anxiety. Would you learn Psalm 23 by heart, maybe even this week? Some of you may already know it, and if that's the case, then maybe you would consider starting every day with the 23rd Psalm. Would you take the time to sit quietly somewhere in a place that's set apart from your phone, the distractions, the people, the demands, and would you say the words of Psalm 23 slowly to yourself, repeating each of its six verses, and then would you ask the Holy Spirit to make it more and more real to you? One of the most poignant memories I have of those kind of shocking early days of the pandemic last March came out of Italy. 
And they were of elderly people, quarantined and dying alone in hospital. All these incredible extended Italian families unable to surround their grandmothers and grandfathers with the love they so desperately wanted to express to them. Psalm 23 is a great comfort here and now, partly because it prepares us for the hour of our death. I think that's the abyss that Pascal talks about, that we don't want to think about, we want to pretend it's not there, it's not going to happen, and yet the facts are kind of irrefutable. Let me promise you that if I visit you at home or in hospice when your time comes, at the hour of your death, I will read Psalm 23 to you. The Lord is my shepherd, it begins. And then in verse 4, as we enter the valley of the shadow of death, it becomes intensely personal. It changes. The tone is different. No longer is the psalmist referring to the Lord in the third person. He says, I will fear no evil for you. You are with me. Learn this psalm. Repeat its words of eternal life to yourself and savor, soak in the words, the voice of Jesus. And as you do so, he promises to draw near, to come close. So the good shepherd gathers us into the security of his home and he invites us into a relationship with him. But, but beneath all of this as a kind of foundation and behind it as what is coming and what will make the difference is what we read in verse 11 where it says that the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is actually the first reference in the Gospel of John to Jesus dying. Now, the job of the shepherd was to protect his sheep, but not even the best shepherd was expected to die for them. Jesus is different. Jesus lays down his life for his sheep as a way of life, as a continual self-sacrifice, which culminates in his going to the cross and dying for us once and for all. And he lays his life down voluntarily. He does it out of obedience to his Father. He does it for our sake. In verse 18, it says, No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. Now, normally the death of a shepherd would, would have been catastrophic for his flock. But when Jesus dies for us, it's the opposite. It changes everything in the best possible way. It leads to his resurrection, and it opens the door to the abundant life that he promises here in John 10. There's one last thing here that I want to highlight. There's a promise in John 10 that the good shepherd makes to us that I love to hear. He says that my sheep will come into this place of safety that I've provided, this kind of home, and then they will go out and find pasture. They're coming in and they're leaving, they're returning and they're going out. It's not a sheltered life. 
It's not a life hidden away, set apart from the world that he's planned for us. Jesus is always out ahead of us in the uncertainty of what we do not yet know. He says, come into the unknown with me and follow me. He says, trust me, I have come so that you can have life and have it to the fullest. Jesus is the gate through which we must go, through whom we must go. First of all, he meets our needs. Then he positions himself, offers himself as the source of our true identity. He says, with me you will find salvation. And then he sets us free. He says, I have laid down my life for you. I know you, I have called you by name, and I will take care of you always. That's what Jesus says to us. That, my friends, is the good news. How do we apply this in our lives? How do we apply this at court rate? Well, if you're someone today who's listening online or who's here and you're, you're not a Christian, you, you know in your heart that you're not in a place of trusting God. Well, Blaise Pascal talks about a wager. He had a lot of friends who loved to gamble, I guess. They would drink and they would go hunting and dancing and these were the distractions, the diversions. And so he spoke in their language. He said, why don't you place a bet with me? He said, it's a bet you can't lose, though, because if you win, you win everything, and if you lose, you lose nothing. He said, bet on Jesus. Take a leap of faith, and if Jesus is who he says he is, if all of this is true, you have gained the universe, and if he's not, you've lost nothing. So I invite you to take that leap of faith and to join us as God's people in whatever way you're ready to do that. Maybe it's just starting to read the Bible, join us on Sunday mornings. Maybe it's something deeper and closer, being part of a small group. Maybe waiting until we can gather more freely to do that. Because this pastoral call, this call that Jesus issues to us isn't just for the priests. It isn't just for the leaders of the church. The flock of sheep that he's talking about implies a life together, that all of us are in this together. And so he's encouraging us, he's really demanding that we do this together, that he's saying every one of us has a role to play as a shepherd too, to reach out to others, to gather others in, to live like Jesus.